You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. Amen. Hey, you can be seated, and I'm going to ask you to take the outline out of your program today because I believe God's got some word that he wants uh, for you to hear and uh, for us to enjoy together as we begin to continue to unpack the Gospel of Luke. And this year we're spending time going through the book of Luke and through the book of Acts. And here's my point. My point is not to familiarize you with Scripture. My point is not to do a survey over the next, you know, 52 weeks and just make you really more familiar with Luke and really more familiar with Acts. That's not my point. My point is that you and I take a deep look at the words and the life of Jesus, that we would obey them, that we would look at the word, that we would actually begin to apply the word in our lives, that you and I, over the course of the next year, would lay down a firm foundation, not only for what are the words of Jesus that we build our life upon, but also what are the goal of people that God has called to be his own, that we launch out the church as we look at the book of Acts and as God dispersed the church out of Jerusalem into the rest of the world. And so we have to ask ourselves, well, how would my life actually be different if I built it on the words of the Lord? How would the foundation of my life, if you, take, if you were to look in the rearview mirror right now, I want to ask some of you, and if I took a survey and said, how many of you would just say that you have built your life on faith? A lot of you would say, well, yeah, I would like to, or I'm working on it, or I want to be better at it. But some of you would say, I hope to do that in the future. Because I look in the rearview mirror, and I look behind me, I realize that had I built my life on the words of Jesus things would have turned out a lot differently, right? Because for a lot of us, we built the foundation of our lives on our own human thinking. We built the foundation of our lives on what culture does and what people around us do. You might have built a relationship or a business. You might have built just the the framework by which you perceive life and you perceive security in life based on what everybody else says and what everybody else tells you to do instead of what God's word tells you to do. And as you look back, I want to just ask and just say, has potentially, has building your life on your own thinking made you richer or poorer? Has it made you healthier? Has it made you a better person? Or would you look back and go, ouch, looks like there's some natural disasters in my past. Looks like there's some things that I've built my whole life And at some point, it came crumbling down. I have a friend named Dusty, and Dusty will often say that he had built up his life, but when he met Jesus, Jesus ruined his life. Because he had built on a foundation that was shaky, and it all came crumbling down. And in fact, God almost had to do like a construction project, had to remove everything he had built so God could rebuild him from the ground up. And it's a beautiful picture of what God wants to do in your life and my life. And why I'm here today to tell you that you're not finished and God's not finished with you. Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter your mistakes, doesn't matter your position in life, you're not done. And God's not done with you. You can have the kind of fun in your future that doesn't leave regrets. You can make financial decisions that honor the Lord and you can build your life on the words of Jesus Christ. And here's why you need today's sermon. Your soul the real you, the person on the inside, your soul was created to anchor to Jesus Christ. To anchor to Jesus Christ. See, we try to anchor to a lot of other things. Sometimes we try to anchor to the security of money, but money changes. 
and, cold, and in fact, you know, the economy changes. I mean, how many of you just had a rude awakening in 2007, 2008 when the economy tanked? You looked at your retirement and you said, oh, that's my security. And then you said, it's not much there anymore. And you look at different things. Those things change. But Jesus Christ is unchanging. He never changes. You need a solid, trustworthy anchor for wellness, for your confidence, and for your joy. And whenever you and I try to anchor to something that's, that changes, then we have a problem. Because we put the anchor in and we think, this is it. This is the position in which I will stay. I'll be secure here. But if it changes, then you move. If it changes, then you don't know where to go. You're afloat again. And sometimes you put your anchor in a relationship. Sometimes you put your anchor in finances. Sometimes you put your anchor in a job. And sometimes you put your anchor in just your own health. And if that changes or any of those things changes, then you're afloat all of a sudden again. Let me ask you a question. Who are you apart from your anchors? If you and I are anchored in Jesus Christ and he's unchanging and he's a solid rock, then we stay in a firm place no matter what life throws at us. And believe me, life will throw a lot at you. And so Jesus is going along and he's teaching the disciples all sorts of things and the people who are following him and the crowds who are following him. And Jesus begins to tell them a little parable here. He says to this in Luke chapter 6, beginning with verse 46, he asks the question this. He says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? For everyone who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into what? Practice, I will show you what they are like. They're like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. And when a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into what? practice is like a man who built his house on the ground without a foundation and the moment the torrent struck that house it collapsed and its destruction was complete you and i we got to dig down to the rock see what jesus is talking about here is bedrock that people could build their house and what they could do is they could go outside and the land in israel if you haven't been with us is a lot like california that most of the dirt and the soil there is clay most of it is clay. And you've got to dig down and lay the walls, the stone walls of the houses they were built in in those times. They would have to dig down through the clay until you hit bedrock. Then you begin to lay your stones and build them up because your solid foundation is the bedrock. But what happens is this. A lot of people, they just build their house in the summertime. If you built your house out here in the fields in summertime and you just said, yeah, I don't think we need a foundation. I think we'll just put the walls. This dirt is solid. And so you built your house and you put the walls on and you just said, hey, we're just going to do kind of like a mat floor. And then what would happen? As soon as the rains come, all that ground, all that ground turns to pudding, chocolate pudding, doesn't it? You go in your backyard after the rains, and all of a sudden, that ground that was so solid, so hard in the summer, it's like chocolate pudding. And, and your walls are going to sink in. They're going to collapse. They're going to fall down. Without a foundation of bedrock, your walls will collapse, and your life reveals what it's currently built on. See, a lot of people build their lives, and they think that it looks good. It looks good on the outside. It looks just like the other people around me. But if your life is not built on the words of Jesus Christ, the storms of life will come. They will reveal what your foundation actually is. And sometimes it's been revealed in our lives that you or I have built on chocolate pudding. Write this down. The rock is the person and the words of Jesus. 
So when Jesus is referring to this little parable here, he's talking about that they should build on the rock. He says, why do you call me Lord, which means ruler or master? Why do you call me Lord but not do what I say? It's a fair question, isn't it? We stand here, we praise Jesus, we talk to him, and he's like, why do you call me Lord if you're not willing to put into practice? Instead, I want you to build your life on a firm foundation. Put my words into practice. Not only the person of Jesus, it's his word. And you can't separate the words from the person any more than anyone else could separate your words from you. You said this, you believe this, you declare that. The truth is that Jesus is the word of life. He is the living word of God. The Gospel of John tells us that in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. You can't separate word and Jesus. It's the person of Christ. It's his words. Now, how we translate Greek and Hebrew into English is really kind of a a fluid thing. Because Greek, Koine Greek, that the Bible was written on, is not like modern-day Greek. If you went and spoke Koine Greek to people in Greece, they would look at you with blank stares, much as if I spoke Old English to you, and you would look at me like, what in the world are you talking about? You just wouldn't understand what I'm saying. And Hebrew was a dead language. It was deceased. It was gone. The Hebrew that was written here. When Israel was established in 1948, people brought back Hebrew language and had to figure out how do we put the vowels in there. Because most of the Hebrew letters are without vowels. And so they were dead languages that are trying to be brought back to life, but they're largely stagnant languages. They were written, they were unchanging. But what happens is we translate it into English. English always changes, right? That's why you wince a little bit when your parent uses a word that was okay for their generation, but it's not okay anymore. They use that word in a current context, and it's cringeworthy. And you're like, ooh, Mm, please don't say that in public ever, right? Because you know what that word now means, but they don't. Why? Because English changes. English moves. English is a language that is still developing. In Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus speaks of the Sermon on the Mount. And this parable that he tells here is part of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is really Christ's inaugural address for his ministry. He's about to launch a ministry, and he comes out, and he basically challenges a lot of the Old Testament principles that people had simply said, I'm going to do it by the letter of the law. And Jesus said, God is far more concerned with your heart. But he's outlining right living for Christians. And it's a moral and ethical standard. In fact, this moral and ethical standard is so high that nobody including you or me. Nobody can live perfectly by the Sermon on the Mount. We can't do it in our own power, in our own motivation. It just simply won't happen. The crowds oftentimes would listen to Jesus, and then they went away, and they were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority. Like, this is different. The Old Testament law, they're like, just tell me what to do. I'll try to do it. That's good. In the New Testament, Jesus is saying, let's get beyond the law a little bit. Let's get to your heart. And the people are cut to the quick. And Jesus begins to challenge the foundation upon which they've built their lives. And he's talking to them right where they live. I want to give you some truths about life. First, write this down. You'll always be in over your head. Some of you in this room, you think, someday I'll finally get stable. Someday I'll finally get caught up. Someday things won't bother me. Someday I will be unoffendable. Someday you go through and you think you'll get to this place in your life where life will be easy. Well, let me tell you something. It won't. No matter what promises are made 
on TV or online, life won't get easy. An all-powerful and unchanging God will draw you and I to go deeper, to trust him more, and believe in him as our foundation and our source more and more until we die. But life is relentless. Is God good? Yes. But life is relentless. And you and I are never going to get to a place where we're not a little bit in over our heads. People will often say, well, God will never give you more than you can handle. I got to tell you, that is an absolute lie. I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. Everywhere in the Bible, people got a lot more than they can handle. And life will throw you and I a lot more than we can handle. But God is good in the midst of what we can't handle. And God will carry us through what we don't think we can handle. And where we don't have skills and tool sets to be able to do life and to trust God will build our trust and build our faith when we build upon him as our foundation. You're always going to be in over your head. Now here's the real danger. Write this down. You think you can manipulate life to your advantage. You think, and I think sometimes in our pride, that we can add Jesus to the equation and we can manipulate life to not be in over our head. We can manipulate life to be secure, that we can just do barely enough. So often people say, they ask this question, they'll ask the question, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? Right? And typically, if you're a young adult, it sounds like a question like this. Well, how far is too far in a godly relationship? It's the wrong question. Because what you're really asking is, well, how close to sin can I get without actually sinning? And the point is, we want to build our lives on the stability, the trust that God said, the faith in Jesus Christ, because storms come and nobody escapes them. You think you can manipulate life to your advantage and get by the storms. Jesus wants to allow you to endure and persevere through the storms. Nobody escapes them. See, culture used to blame back in the day, as English would be something that morphs. Back in the day, people would say that natural disasters were acts of God. Remember that? This was an act of God. This, you know, thing happened, a natural disaster happened, a weather-related event and they would call it an act of God. Then they're like, oh, I don't think we should add God in the equation. So now they just call them natural disasters. Have you noticed? Our language is morphing. They're now just natural disasters. But I want you to look back at your life for a moment and say, for some of you, are you looking back at your life and thinking, my life is just a series of natural disasters? It just is. As you look back and you're like, oh, that didn't turn out how I wanted. Oh, that was a setback. Oh, this was a disappointment. Oh, that was a deep wound. Oh, this was a significant loss. So let me ask you, is your life a series of national, natural disasters? Jesus says, listen, there's a wise guy and a fool who walk into a storm. But the storm reveals the foundation, what they anchor to, the hope that they've built their life on, or the storm's going to reveal the carnage. And the difference is the foundation, because one is built on God's principles, his word. The other is truly a natural disaster, a house built on human effort and human principles and human emptiness, and it collapses. So we've got to look at the houses a little bit. Write this down if you're taking notes. The houses are, are the same, but the work of building is different. Some of you, when you think of little houses like this, you might think of the wolf and the three little pigs. And this is not the three little pigs where one house is built of straw and one house is built of sticks and one house is made of bricks. And then the wolf comes and he blows down the first two weak sauce houses and he gets in there and he eats the pigs and enjoys some bacon. And then he climbs down the chimney of the brick house because he can't blow it down. But the 
the pig inside there actually captures the wolf in a pot of boiling water and eats the wolf. But Disney cleans it up and lets the wolf run away. Now, this is not that story, and it's a creepy story nonetheless. I mean, who comes up with stuff like that? A wolf who blows houses down and then gets eaten by a pig. Come on. Those are different houses of different materials. These are the same materials. The difference is the work that's required in building the house is what sets it apart. Do you know it's easier to build your house on public opinion? Do you know it's easier to build your house on human intellect and thinking? Do you know it's easier to build your house on the so-called securities of finances or the so-called securities of relationships and the so-called securities of our world? It's easier. But that's not what God's called you and I to do. He's called us to dig down deep, to dig down to the bedrock. See, we're going to build a house, but what are you going to build your house on? The foundation reveals what your house is built on when the storms come. It's like when you get squeezed, life squeezes you, what's on the inside comes out. And in this way, when the water comes against the house, it reveals whether the underminings of the house, the foundation, what's underneath, is something that can support you or whether it causes everything else to collapse. The houses are the same, but the work of building them is different. See, here's the trouble. You and I judge people based on the outside of the house. You drive around, and you look at neighborhoods, maybe in Elk Grove, and you just think, man, these just look like nice houses, and, and they look very secure and stable, and, and, and you haven't done a home inspection, but you're thinking, these look pretty good. And you think that everything is pretty cool going on inside that house. From the outside, you can't tell that one house is any different than the next. That these people, they just, they don't seem to need God. Why do I need God? Looks like their house is just fine as mine. Looks like they have their Sunday mornings free. Maybe I don't, right? And you look at these things. They don't seem to need God. They seem to have it all together. But then you're surprised when it all comes crumbling down. But if you were to look through a suburban neighborhood, the houses look nice. Oftentimes they look the same. And they are often filled with hurting people and hopeless people, and empty people, because inside those houses, as they are squeezed by life, the foundation they built their life upon is revealed. And maybe that's your house. And maybe it's one of the reasons you're here today. And maybe it's the best reason why you begin to say, what then is the right place to build the foundation of my life? If God is destroying your house, if God is tearing it down right now, the storm is squeezing you and, and it's undermining what you've built on and it's collapsing, there's good news. There's a master builder who wants to rebuild you and he loves you very, very much. Maybe that's you here today. I want you to watch this video that we did a couple years ago from Israel. Will you watch the screen? Hi, Sun Grove Church. Welcome from the Holy Land. Our entire group has been up here. We've been having a great week. We're so thankful for your prayers. And we wanted to send greetings to you on a Sunday morning from the Holy Land here. Where we are right now is in what's called a wadi. A wadi is a place where flash floods come down and they would flow off the cliff. Right behind me is about a thousand foot drop off. And it's just an amazing land. One of the pictures I'll leave you with in Matthew chapter 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about 
A wise person builds their house upon the rock, and a foolish person would build their house upon the sand. And to us, we might think of the beach, and that the waves come, the wind blows, the house falls down if you're foolish. But to a Jewish person, they would think of this, that down in the bottom, it looks like a nice, flat, sandy place to build, very easy to build a house. And for about nine months out of the year, it would work. But then the rains would come in the high country. You wouldn't have any warning. There might not be any clouds here, but the flash flood would come down here. It would go over the cliff. It would go down, it would wipe out your house. And so people knew that the place you build is not on that flat, dry wash bed, but that you build up on the rock, on the stronghold, on the safe place, out of harm's way. Jesus gives this picture not to talk about building, but he gives this picture to talk about our lives that our lives are to be built upon his words. He says, if you build your life on my teaching, you'll be like the wise person. I want to give you a picture because I want you to realize that the land changes everything when you read the Bible. We'll be heading back to Israel this year. If you're interested, we find out pricing at literally the end of this month. Early February is when our tour group uh, comes up with the pricing based on the airlines. And uh, we'll let you know the prices and the dates and all that stuff. But uh, December 2020, just stay tuned if you're interested in going. But again, what I want you to get that picture of, because California is almost the exact same cross-section as Israel. And what's happening here is that those rains would come, the storms come, and in Israel they come just like they do here. It's dry so much of the year for us. And then all of a sudden, November, December hits, and the rains begin, and they continue through March, maybe early April, and they shut off again for the most part. And it's just like that. So the people would know that they have a dry season. They have a Mediterranean climate like ours. They have a time to grow. They have a time to do all things. But there's so many months out of the year that you could be deceived by building your house on something that really just turns to chocolate pudding. Write this down. The storm is the same, but the results are different. Everybody faces storms. God doesn't provide for Christians some magical protection from the storms of life. And the house built on the bedrock will stand the storm. Faith is evident in the midst of hardship. That you're going to obey God in the good. And you're going to obey God in your pain and in the storms of life. And oftentimes if your life is built on the solid rock of the word of God and obedience to it. You find that you have that security, that anchor, that firm anchor in Jesus. However, if your life is built on the empty words of self and fame and culture that your life can easily crumble when the storms come and nobody's exempt from the storms. But take heart, why? Because God meets you at the point of your deepest longings in the storm. People go through storms of life and they cry out to God and it's a beautiful thing that God reaches to you and reaches to me in the midst of the storms of life and he doesn't just reach to our circumstances. He's like, oh gee, your house fell down. Let me get you a new house. That's not what he's all about. Jesus is like, your house fell down because it wasn't built on obeying my words once again. And for some of you, your house has fallen down again and again and again. And God is coming to you and saying, 
I want to get to the deepest core desire that you have. Because as much as you're tempted to build a house on what culture does and what everybody else does and what everybody else puts security in, I want to get to the deeper longings in your heart. That below these longings for security and below these longings for safety, you have a deeper longing, in fact, a stronger and better longing in your heart. And Jesus comes there to draw that longing out. He's saying that longing really wants, it's part of your good heart. It really wants to listen to my words and to obey my words and to put in practice my words. You want to be a godly man. That's deeper than your longings for sin. You want to be a godly woman. That's deeper than your longings for security. That there is a deeper core longing in you and me, and we try to reach out for other things, but in all the while, we are actually just reaching for God. So when you reach for security in finances, you're actually reaching for God. When you reach for security in a relationship, you're reaching for God. When you reach to build your life just like everybody else does, you're really reaching for God, but those things are not firm anchors. They move. And the storms reveal them for what they are. And God is coming to you in the midst of your storm to that deepest longing of your heart, the good heart that you have, and saying, I want to help you build a foundation on my word and obedience to it. Isn't that beautiful that God would reach to you in the place of your deepest core longings? Write this down. To build your house on the words of God requires obedience to them obedience to the words of God. Say this with me real quick. Just say, life is not about me and my opinions. It's about God and his glory. It really is. It's not about our opinions. It's about God and his glory. And God reveals to us that he receives glory in our obedience. God reveals to us that we share in his glory. We also share in his sufferings. But we share in the glory of God, and there's a security when the deepest core longings of our heart are met in God and not in anything else. So what happens? we got to die a little bit. you got to die to your way of doing things and become obedient to God's way. And that means, literally, you got to think about it. What am I going to do? My sister-in-law, uh, she sometimes will buy houses out in Florida and then they'll fix them up, and then they either rent them as Airbnbs, or they sell them, or they lease them out. And they had bought this one house, and the house was looking great. They had a home inspection. Everything looked great. A couple months into it, they got a water bill for 130,000 gallons of water. And they had to bring in a person who's got this, like, radar that goes into your cement, and they found out that there was a crack in the foundation, and it had broken a pipe, but everything looked fine. It looked fine everywhere. Until they got the bill for 130,000 gallons of water that just went away. And that, you got to be careful of that in Florida because that's, the, you know, that's what, how sinkholes happen. <laughs> All of a sudden the water comes up and it takes away the foundation and everything collapses. And sometimes your life is like that. And God is saying, listen, I want to build a foundation that's firm, that's secure, that doesn't have cracks, that remain cracks for a long time and eventually shatter and cause bigger problems than when you started God wants you and I to die to self and become alive to him and his way of doing things. And so you have a choice. Are you going to build your future marriage God's way or are you going to do it your way? You're going to do what everybody else does in the world and hope that it works out great or will it collapse? 
Are you going to build your finances based on putting away a nest egg for yourself and your family that really is your security and you're not trusting God? Or are you going to trust God and honor him with the first while you're being a good steward of your finances as a believer in Jesus Christ? Are you kingdom-minded in that? Are you going to hope that your position or your identity that's stuck in maybe a relationship or a job task, that that's going to say that someday you and I are going to retire from your job, you're going to check out from your job, you're going to move on from your job, you're going to get laid off from your job, your identity can't be what you do, and so the question is, who are you beyond what you do? And sometimes, God, men particularly listen to me in the room because we attach identity so closely to what we do, sometimes God removes us from our employment and calls time out in our life because he wants to get to the core of our foundation. And he wants to call time out and say, I want you, you've been building the way the world builds, I want you to build the rest of your life based on my principles and my truth. And he comes to the place where we have the deepest significance, our deepest core longings are met in those places because we want to build on the rock. Philippians chapter one, verse six says this, being confident of this, Paul writes, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's the good work. The good work is that you're not alone in this. That God began a good work in you. And sometimes you and I go our own way, but he draws you and I back and he's going to continue that good work until the day of completion. How many of you have ever seen a started construction project that ran out of money? All of us, right? Like, rewind like eight, nine years ago. They were all over Elk Grove. They just kind of stalled. We had a mall. Not really. We don't really have a mall. We kind of had a mall, right? What had to happen? Life came along, squeezed it, and then they've had to just completely tear it down. What are you building your life on? Do you have an Elk Grove mall in your heart? Are you willing to build on the work of Jesus? The nice thing is, you're not the one who has to do all the building yourself. When you surrender, God becomes the builder. You might want to write that down. When you surrender, God becomes the builder. Like, do you ever just feel like you're behind? Like, oh, we should have completed this mall by now. And God's like, don't worry, I got you. I'm the builder. I'm still working on you. Do you ever feel like you're behind in life? Or sometimes you run and you strive to build and you're striving. It's just exhausting. And most times you and I are probably trying to run ahead of God and try to be our own source. Like, God, I want to be honoring you. I want to I love you. But honestly, I'm just going to run ahead of you and I'm going to strive, 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 strive. I'm going to hustle. And in doing so, then I'm going to make a stability place in your kingdom that I can be comfortable and God may be like, honestly, my kingdom's not that comfortable. That's probably a little too comfortable. And I want to let you know that that's not a foundation that is secure, that will last. So sometimes we trust the foundation of money or marriage or friends or fun. And sometimes you, you think God laid the foundation. Now all I got to do is make it happen. And God's like, uh-uh, I want to be a builder with you. If you've ever built a house... The amount of meetings you have with the builder about this material and that material and this kind of sink and that kind of sink and this backsplash and that kind of carpet, all those things, you have lots of meetings. You have a, it's a really a dual thing if you're building a house from the ground up with a builder. Most of us just walk in and try and buy a house, a used house for most of us, right? But if you're going to build one from the ground up, you got a lot of meetings. And because, why? Because there's a builder involved. And Jesus is the builder. He wants to 
build our lives upon his word and our obedience to it and his guidance and his building and his Holy Spirit working on us in the inside. So you and I, we need to participate in the changes that God wants to make in you. Sometimes God loves you too much to leave you where you are. And he's going to say, yes, the storm has come. And God's not saying, I caused the storm. He's saying storms happen to everybody. It's part of life. Life is relentless. But God's coming along and saying, in this storm, I want to rebuild you. In this storm, I want to come along and I want to cause you to be firm. Because everything else you trust in, it's just chocolate pudding. So what happens? You and I begin to walk with Jesus. We begin to obey his words. We begin to say, that's a better way. That's a better idea. And it's completely my privilege to rearrange my life to look more like what Jesus is talking about. So it's completely my privilege to rearrange my finances to look like what the Bible says should be that practice of those who are believers with their finances. It's completely within my privilege to rearrange my relationships to do it God's way instead of doing it our way or the way the practice we've gotten into. It's completely within, you know, the our privilege to be able to rearrange every portion of our life to obey the words of Jesus. See, faithfulness doesn't mean that you and I suddenly became perfect or that you are always perfect. What it means is that you and I continue to walk with Jesus when you've been unfaithful, when you've strayed, when you've gone your own way, when you have built your life on something that doesn't last. Faithfulness just means, okay, Jesus, I'm going to walk with you again, coming to my senses, returning to the firm anchor of the word of God and living out of my deepest core longings. What is Jesus saying? If we figure it out, he's saying this. Listen, he said, that foundation that you're trusting, it's pudding. It's chocolate pudding. He's saying that person that you shouldn't be with, they're pudding. It's just chocolate pudding. That money that's never going to buy security, it's pudding. That busyness and that striving and that hustle, it's pudding. The bitterness that you hold against God or against someone else for your wounds, that can be pudding. The lies you believe about your worth, that's pudding. It doesn't last as a shaky foundation. The glory that you seek when you brag about where you've gone and what you've done and what you have, it's pudding. And it's pride. And Jesus is saying, build your life on me and on my words. Obey my words. Partner with the work that I want to do in you. And so today, you and I would be saying, okay, Jesus, I want to make you my anchor. If there's anything else you could do in 2020 as we look at the book of Luke, as we walk through the book of Acts, is to say, Jesus, I need to make you my anchor. I don't just need to become familiar with the book of Luke and the book of Acts. I need to begin to say, Jesus, help me to obey what I'm reading in the book of Luke and later in the book of Acts this year. That is, you read, and you read the next couple chapters with the bookmark and the seat back in front of you. If you don't have one of those, take that bookmark today. But you're going to read those chapters ahead of the weekend. So if it says next weekend, you're going to read those two chapters before next weekend. And then I'm going to preach on it. And then we're going to talk about it in our circles, that entire couple chapters that you're going to build and say, okay, God, what in these two chapters are you calling me to do to firm up my foundation that it be reliant on you? With your heads bowed, your eyes closed, just for a minute, the way that you start a relationship with God, and not just of your own doing, is that you come to him and you bring him your mess. You bring him your sin, you bring him yourself, you bring him your history, your past, and you give him your future. And you say, Jesus, you died on the cross 
to forgive me of my sins and I want to let you ruin my life so that you can rebuild me to my deepest core longings. And if that's you today, then you pray a prayer right where you're seated. Just pray something like this after me to say, Jesus, today I give you me. I have done everything my own way and it's not stable or it's an illusion. And what I trust today is that you died on a cross to forgive me of my sin, that you were buried in the ground and that you rose to new life. I ask you to forgive me of all my sin and wash me as white as snow because today, Jesus, I give you me. And right now, if you prayed that prayer, will you raise your hand anywhere around the room? Believers in the room at this time, you're praying that you would align your life back to Jesus, that you would align your life back to your deepest core longings. And would you just tell him today, God, there is a deeper longing in my heart than the longings I feel towards sin or security or self. Would you just tell him that? God, would you awaken those deepest core longings in my heart? If you're a believer right now, that's what you're praying. This is your moment of decision. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right here, right now, that God, you would do a great work in us from the inside out this year. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for what you're doing in and through and among us. In Jesus' name, and together we said, amen. We give it up for what God's doing in and through and among us. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.